Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the 10K Collective podcast. I'm in the middle of an interview with a fascinating man, Richard Tanner, UK-based entrepreneur who's been selling online pretty much since the dawn of the internet, which is unusual and gives you massive perspective and really pretty expert from just a very low-key but daily contact with buying businesses pretty much the whole time, really. That's what he does. And today we're going to focus on how to buy a business with no money down and the sort of structures that go with that and not necessarily always no money, but the sort of basics of how to structure things that you minimize the amount of money you have to put in to the situation. So very interesting stuff. Um, don't forget to um, subscribe to the show if you're enjoying this sort of content and uh, do listen out for the end when we share where you can get more information on this subject from Richard, who as you'll find out, and if you haven't listened to him already, he's a very personable and, and straightforward kind of guy, but very experienced. So I hope you enjoy the show. So, Let's move on to the, the question then of talking of which, okay, you're, you're a small guy, you're not a threatening corporate, you're more personable, you can get the rapport with the buyer. I guess it's always easier when you're a small person starting out if you're like a smaller business and without being disrespectful to that. Small is beautiful, as the Swiss say. I think it, it, it really can be for me. But tell me that the downside of that, of course, is, I guess, a lack of capital. So how do we work around that? Presumably, if you've got some kind of structured deal, is it common to have no money down deals or in reality, do we need to get capital? And if so, how do we raise it? Pretty much 95% of the deals at all level will be structured deals. Even the big global deals you see with the Googles and Facebooks will be a share swap to begin with, and then very structured depending on how the business does going forward. Pretty, I mean, I think there's a misconception in a lot of people that it's it, 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 it's a cash buying market. And it just is, you know, it, I, I equate it when I speak to sellers, I say, look, it's a bit like putting up, you know, your two million or three million pound house and saying, I will sell this house, but only to cash buyers. Could you find a cash buyer? Are they out there? Yes. Are they specifically going to want your company or in this case, your property? Possibly not. You could sit here for 10 years and not find them. So all deals are structured. And you can raise capital in other ways. There's lots of finance available. Now, with online business, it's a bit more challenging. But one way of doing it, certainly in the UK, I mainly speak about the UK. I know there's some US-backed schemes, but most of my acquisitions are UK-based. So the, the one at the moment is C-bills which is a government loan scheme to help businesses that are struggling. And I often use that. I say to them, you go and get that through your bank. You can get quarter million pounds. It's 25% of the revenue you can get. But if you get more than 25% in funding, then it switches from the government backing it to you. 
So you will need to put up assets or money in form of a PG. And while there is PG insurance, you're having to find, you know, unencumbered assets or cash to put up. So I generally stick in the in the 250 range, and therefore they get some money. They can take the money out at closing, and we take on the the, the loan. Now with C bills in the UK at the moment, you can have a year where the government pays interest. So it starts at about two. 2.1% is the, is the APR, so it's very low interest. It's, it can run up to 10 years, depending on relationship with your bank. And the first year, as I say, the government make the payments. So you don't make any payments on that loan until month 13. So effectively, they, take, they can take that out, the CBIL loan out. You can close the acquisition. They can take the, the cash out of surplus, still get the entrepreneur's tax relief, and you take on the liability in terms of the loan. And that's, that's the way I would do it at the moment. Now, there are other ways of, of, of funding it. But generally speaking, I try and not put much uh, any of my personal money in to begin with. The reason for that is that sometimes when you acquire the business, it might need a little bit of a boost when you, you walk through the door and it might need 5000 in funding, you know, for certain things, whether it's, you know, to bring someone in to look at the admin or, or whatever. So I like to use my liquidity post-acquisition if I can. Excellent. So we're starting to speak a slightly different language there. So post-acquisition liquidity, I suppose, is, is what people like to say called cash or I would call cash. And PG is a cash, personal guarantee, yes. I'm presuming, right? Just in case someone's listening and thinking, thinking about tea or something. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, as a personal guarantee and, and would normally against a property that doesn't have a mortgage. That's the that's normally or cash in the bank that the, the bank would encumber. Okay, so, go on. No, I was just go- I was going to say obviously that then puts you into a significant risk position. Even if you insure it off, you you're still probably liable for somewhere between ten and twenty percent of that personal guarantee. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's no, no such thing as a free lunch. The lending institutes are, I'm sure most of us know, are, are not stupid, and they yes. want to de-risk as much as possible the lending. As yeah. always, whether you're in a mortgage or a loan or overdraft, whatever you're doing, it's the same in the business world. Absolutely. Now, I remember one of my guests uh, whose name escapes, and I think it was probably Terry Lammers, who's he's a dyed-in-the-wool Texas oil man, I think, of, of all things. But he buys and sells businesses, and he says, look, it's basically collateral and cash flow. That's what you get a loan against. So collateral meaning your house, <laughs> if you put yeah. a personal guarantee. But what what strikes me about this, and for our American listeners, just to say, don't panic if C-bill sounds a bit mysterious and you, you can't get that. Okay, BDA or business development loans are very much the, the American equivalent. And if anything, they sound even more attractive. You can get like up to 90% of the value of the business and because we have talked to somebody once before about acquiring businesses but an American perspective so it's good to get the British perspective and actually what's interesting is people often get very literal minded and say oh you can't do that over here because our regulations are different well no you may not do the exact same thing but I think you can be inspired by the strategy and obviously in the end you've got to have a good lawyer and a good account I think that 
you've got to keep your mind open to the possibilities of what people are doing in the UK and try if there's equivalent in the US and vice versa, because there often seems to be, it strikes me. There is, there is. I mean, if I'm being honest, Michael, there's, there's full mature lending markets, and that is the US, obviously UK, um, Australia and New Zealand. They're all very mature and you pretty much can do the same thing for acquisitions in all of them. Okay, um, interesting. Some of the other European countries are a little bit more tricky because of their they haven't matured as much in terms of funding and doing these types of deals. Yeah, they're more high regulation, high tax economies, aren't they? So they're not so yeah. sort of, you know, entrepreneurial friendly, I guess. At least we'll see how the UK is post-Brexit. But for the moment, it seems to be a good place to do business anyway. So tell me a bit more about, so so we're getting a bit closer to me getting my head around. And I, I'm hopefully thinking on behalf of the listener going, well, how on earth do we actually go about this? So raising finance means borrowing money, I guess. So how do we bridge the gap give me a concrete example let's take a, one of the more manageable sounding figures a million pound revenue business talk me through how you would acquire that with none of your own money down if you, if you can think of you can give an example of something you can speak to without revealing any things you shouldn't yeah of course you know, <laughs> let's make fine. this concrete let's so we can do, drill down into how do we solve this money side because okay, so, to me that's so, just like the big barrier and maybe it is for the listener okay so a deal probably so if you've got a million say you've got it's making net profit of 200. Let's, let's keep it simple. I would normally look at three years profitability. So for in, so to keep it simple, let's say last three years, it's done 200,000, 200,000, 200,000. So therefore, um, the valuation of that business for me would be 600,000 pounds. I'd then look at the surplus cash in the bank. So I'd look at one-tenth the revenue as the working capital, which is money the business needs in the bank to trade each month. Anything over and above that, I'd say, okay, I can give that back to the seller at closing. So when I close the deal and acquire the business, anything over and above this amount in the bank account, you can have, because I don't need that. So you've got the valuation and then you've got the cash. That, that's it in simple terms. And then I would look at the ways that I could fund it to get to that figure. You know, is the cash in the bank so that, you know, the 600,000, could I, has it got so much surplus cash that I could give, say, 300,000 pounds at closing, but add it on to the, the, the deal value? So I could say to them, okay, well, you've got, 300,000 surplus cash. I value the business at 600,000. So therefore, the whole deal with the cash is 9,000. I'll give you 300,000 closing. So you take the money out at closing. You get, you know, the tax advantages of doing that. And then for the next four years, we'll work on a deal at maybe 150 a year to, to pay off the rest of it. Okay, so getting my head around here i think so work on a deal at 150 or what what does that mean you're going to pay them back 150,000 a, a year to yeah, 50,000 pounds it might be annually might yeah. be they might say okay well I, I might accept that but i don't want to pay you could pay me six monthly or hmm. quarterly hmm. so you know you can break it down in various ways yeah, And you would pay them then that set amount for the next four years until you pay it off. So over the next four years, I mean, it's a bit like, um, and people, 
you know, get a bit confused. It's it's almost like the seller is a lender to you. That's what I was going to ask you about. So uh, that's you exactly put your finger on the question I was going to ask, which is, tell me that, if, okay, there's capital, which is like money in some form, right? It's either tied up in a business or it's tied up in property or it's cash in the bank, liquidity, as you would put it. Yeah. But I, I love the way people use different languages in different sectors of business. It's funny because it's <laughs> several of the th- same things. So tell me, but, but what form of capital is it at this point? So somebody owns a business and they own yeah. that business, I guess, owns 300,000 surplus in the bank plus working capital, right? Yeah. So you're going to yeah. buy all of that from them. Yeah. But when you say buy, you're going to own it officially, right? But where does the money come from to do that transaction? Is it all lent by the business owner or are you buying some money from the bank or is some money coming from your... You could do it. It's a combination, to be honest, Michael. Okay. You could do it from a commercial lender, like we say, a C-bills. Maybe, I mean, it, it's about finding something that works for you in terms of how confident that you can pay this back going forward and therefore ultimately own 100% of the business. So you could, t- I mean, the other way to do it, yeah, you could take out 250 C-bills and then give the, the surplus cash so they've got 550 at closing and then a lesser amount to pay them over time. Just still trying to get my head around this idea of, of buying businesses. It's, it's, uh, it sounds very, very interesting to me because I think it, what's good about it is it forces you to think about businesses as assets and to stop thinking in terms of operations all day or, yeah. or even worse being a technician who's a bad manager like the the, the whole you know your, your baby boomer friends who do just basically like a certain area but aren't very efficient at work 12 hour days when they could get it down to six mm-hmm. but th- th- it's forgive me sort of asking probably dumb questions because it's a very new world i'm used to dealing with operators of e-commerce businesses but so it, the simplest possible deal you could do would be effectively, if I understand it, to borrow all of the money from the seller and then to pay them back, but with extra on top over time. Or you're not even paying yeah. extra on top. How does that work? Just you, just talk me through that. that. Yeah, yeah, I mean that might be that might be you know a way to sweeten the deal. You might mm. get seller that says, well okay, but well, I'm going to put this money in the bank. And I've done one recently where he, he said that. He said, well, I'm not opposed to doing this and you pay me out over time, but effectively I'm lending you my money to buy the business. And I I was hoping to utilise that as an investment. And I looked at the facts and figures and said, okay, what if I pay you 4% APR on that per annum on each payment for the next four years? And he said, oh, okay. <laughs> Obviously, in the current climate, is is not an insignificant amount of APR. And the business was fine. It could absorb that cost and that sort of problem. So it's a lot of the time it's about creative solutions coming up with, you know, you might put an offer in, and then I normally ask for a counteroffer. The seller says no. So you're... Like anything, you're at one end and hopefully you're not too far apart. And then you might start thinking, how can I creatively close the gap so that the seller's happy and he walks away happy and I walk, I think, great, I've got a good deal here. You know, it's, it's about this the old saying, win-win situation, really. It sounds to me like it's good and bad news, I suppose, for anyone who's who's really in early days with you know thinking this thing through. The good news seems to be that it's very flexible. There's lots of different possible deal structures, which I guess is good because that means there's lots of options and you're more likely to actually end up with a deal. The bad news, yeah. I guess, about that is you're not giving us that one, that, that sort of magic 
internet course pitch that we've got one method that works guaranteed each time. It's very simple. You just follow the dots and you get rich, <laughs> which means we're actually going to have to think and, and educate ourselves, I guess, right? Um, I, I really do wish that there was the silver bullet to doing all deals, but every deal is different, to be honest, Michael, because it, it's about finding a solution that works for everybody. And really, it's about, again, coming back to that core thing, building a relationship with the seller. What does the seller want? What is the long-term plan? I mean, are they, you know, got a gentleman we're talking to who's wants to, to spend his money on a holiday home in Spain and doesn't want a mortgage? Hmm. So he's looking to get as much money out at closing. Now, if we're doing that at closing then obviously the value may come down slightly because we're saying we're giving you a lot of the money up front and therefore we're front-loading our risk to enable you to do that. So, yes, unfortunately, I, I can't say there's one solution, you know, that fits every business because there just isn't, unfortunately. But I think what people need to remember is, certainly in the UK, depending on which facts and figures you read, there's only one in 18 to one in 20 of the one to 10 million businesses will ever sell. That That is the unfortunate reality. Most will be on the market for two, three, four years, and then they'll just say, oh, I'm going to do the thing I, I never wanted to do, which is just shut the door, make all my staff redundant, and my legacy is just sail down the river. So in that case, what you're saying is, I guess it's more of a buyer's market than a seller's market for, for businesses in that kind of revenue range. Is that right? It is. Okay. It is. It's always been for a number of years, but I'm sure you can appreciate, and I'm sure your listeners appreciate, with this the current situation going on, even more so, even more so. So in the e-commerce world, obviously the, the vibe on the street from what I gather from people who are starting up businesses to broker business deals for others who are uh, have put together lots of money and come from nowhere, like Thrasio, most famous example, I guess, to, but they're not the only ones to, to be, a, what do you call it, I suppose, uh, an acquirer. What's the word? They roll up businesses. I can't think of the, the buzzword now, but they, they put it together. And it seems to be that in the FBA, Amazon world and e-commerce generally, it's more of a seller's market right than it was. What's your view as a, as a person who acquires a lot of businesses is that does that feel true to what you're seeing yeah, on the ground I think, I think there's a certain sectionness around amazon fba and online businesses i would say particularly this year when people have realized online businesses are you know a great thing to have with with everything that's going on as we know a lot of businesses i mean because I look at online businesses and offline businesses, I've seen a number of offline businesses, very, very solid businesses for 20, 25 years that unfortunately have really suffered this year. You know, they've had to shut the doors, have to fill out the staff and all that good stuff. So I think there is some, yes, there is some, some definitely some validity behind that. So, so what would you say to somebody then who, is thinking an obvious opportunity for somebody who's got an e-commerce business and they don't have a physical presence is to consider buying business possibly frankly to get the email list or some of the ip or one of those things you were talking about or possibly to run it as a going concern but to get some kind of offline type business bolted on i imagine 
on the one hand, now is kind of a cheap time to buy such businesses, and it may be even more by March, April, May, twenty twenty one. As absolutely, uh, I, mean, I mean, is that a, is that a good strategy? Have you seen that sort of situation? I mean, I, I've I've been looking at lots of businesses, solid businesses, who dip their toe in the online world, but not greatly, or have an online presence, but let's say it, it, it's not very good. And I think there's an opportunity to acquire offline businesses and move them on online definitely at the moment how would you go about that particular situation then are there particular do's and don'ts in in that situation that you know from a broad perspective with a bit of broad advice and acquiring an offline business as an online business owner yeah i mean the offline businesses are sometimes a little bit easier because they've probably got more physical assets and then online business and you've probably got a bit more flexibility because a lot of these, particularly the baby boomers who've got very good, you know, businesses, they might have an email list. I came across a business the the, the week that had uh, 28,000 people on the email list, never emailed them in five years. (laughs) So I'm sure for your, your listeners that, that that's probably quite staggering, but you know, that, that is quite norm to be honest. So you can see how, you could acquire that business, utilize the email list, move them online very simply. Um, and I think all you need to be aware of is with an offline business is what liabilities are you taking over? Are there anything? And th- this is partly where a, a good lawyer would come in play once you got that far and just look at, you know, warranties and indemnities and all that good legal speak that really I leave to my, my, my lawyers rather than myself. But that's the only thing to be aware of. But for me, I think it's a great time. I think there's so much opportunity to transition some of these smaller businesses, good businesses, from a traditional standalone press into an online business. And I mean, I was looking at one the other day that imported very expensive fish tanks, believe it or not. They had a customer list. I think it was about 10,000 people, but it was a physical shop. That's how they serve them. They, they have a website, but when it's their website, it's kind of a, a one-page holding page. They've never done anything. So that's something I think could be flipped online quite easily with a bit of you know, a bit of time on the, on the website and uh, a bit of marketing. Excellent. Interesting stuff. So we, we could probably sort of ask you a trillion questions, but you presume this feels like the moment to organically pop in your pitch for your magical course that tells you how to do this. You don't actually yeah. have such a thing, but I do know that you have a, a report and that people can get in touch with you. So tell us a bit about what you do have to offer people there. Yeah. Yeah. When I knew I was coming on here, Michael, I thought, well, maybe just to sort of back up what I've talked about, I've written a, a short report, which outlines some of the key areas and key things you've got to think about when you're going out there and acquiring a business. So I've put it, put it, put a short report together on my growthfryacquisition.report website, and that'll be available free of charge to all your listeners. So no, no sales pitch here. Um, yeah, just amazing. trying to help everybody move forward. So I'm yeah. sorry, everybody, if you're waiting for sales pitch. Yeah, it, just, <laughs> it does feel like the moment where it was going to happen. So growth via acquisition dot report. I guess it means you've got to spell acquisition, A-C-Q-U-I, etc. And also Richard Tunner, T-U-N-N-A-H 
com is yeah. is your website and you've got you've had those best-selling books so tell me what those books were in case they're of relevance to people as well yeah of course yeah cut cost and increase profits which is all about customer reactivization and customer retention campaigns because i found again a lot of people were having large email lists and then thinking oh what do i do with these i weren't doing anything with them and then also i found a lot of small businesses when I was out there consulting and helping people grow their businesses from my experience, were using pay-per-click, Facebook pay-per-click particularly, but unfortunately were getting approached by the big web agencies that thought it was great fun to charge five, 10,000 pounds management fee and say to them, well, on top of that, you need about 5,000 pounds a month to have ad spend. And I, I went along and said, no, 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 Let, let's start small test it and it's really talking about how to start with five pounds a day 10 days test it see if it works if it works obviously then increase your ad spend to 100 and so on if it doesn't start again change as we know there's lots of things you can change whether it's the the text the picture your audience and and that's that's the thing so again that's on there so that's uh, facebook ads for local businesses very simple laid out book which just basically says that nice yeah very very i like this is a very british kind of pitch that is like don't spend five thousand dollars a day spend five pounds a day and see if it works a much more sort of manageable human level i like it just so there's so much that i want to ask you but i'm going to keep you for five hours if i do that this is certainly a fascinating area so if anyone wants to get hold of you i guess the best way to to do that is to go to richardtunner.com a, a wrap-up of of my backstory, my best-selling books, what I've done. I've appeared on a, a few different US networks talking about business growth and all that good stuff. So, yeah, that's the sort of backstory. And, yeah, absolutely, if, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Um, always happy to discuss acquisitions and help in any way. Absolutely. Amazing. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.